New Zealand are there for the taking, they said. This isn't the vintage of 2011 and 2015. They're hanging on by a tread. They're there to be beat. Turns out all that was true. It's just that it was a week too late and it was England who peaked for Rugby World Cup 2019 and not Ireland. We've talked enough about Ireland. We'll talk more about England today because what a performance that was. And they're in a World Cup final. They're playing South Africa this week. I don't know if we would have picked an England-South Africa final, Morris, uh, before the tournament, but I'm kind of looking forward to it now, I have to say. It's uh, World and Union Balls at Ease Weekly Rugby Show with me, Mick McCarthy, with the aforementioned Morris Brosnan, and lots to talk about, Morris. Um, and, you know, really, for a change, I my, my head is a little bit kind of more relaxed and less kind of like addled and messed up as it was last week as we were looking for reasons why we were hammered. And watching two games of rugby of varied quality over the weekend, I kind of learned to appreciate the World Cup again, taking ourselves out of it. I don't know if you felt the same way. Yeah, I think it, like the, the I did feel that way on Saturday. I actually didn't. I like I was uh, nearly angry watching Sunday's game. Yeah. Uh, I, and particularly given like the new audience that this tournament is supposed to access, and then suddenly they're treated to to that. I just think is a shame. Uh, like I we get into that later like South Africa yeah. can play whatever they want and it's been successful so who are we to say anything more about it but Saturday I think was was absolutely incredible I think the uh, everything about it actually the every even from the like whatever we get into the game the spectacle around the, the hack at the start and the, just the sense of like occasion and Owen Farrell's like incredibly annoying smirk I can only imagine what it's like to be staring down the lens at that all of that combined just like from the very minute that that game was starting I was like incredibly excited to see yeah. what was going to unfold we talked a little bit on, on the build up last week myself and Mark talked about kind of whether there's any part of us that would support England in this you know, <laughs> as a kind of a, as, as Irish sports fans and you know I think I think ultimately what it came down to was you want a close game and you want a good game but ultimately you'll probably always go for the other team regardless of what it's good for the sport or not and that's just the nature of the big like the big rival the 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 the, the big brother element of England versus Ireland that's always going to be there and ultimately I did want New Zealand to win for the 80 minutes but didn't mean I wasn't actually pretty happy for England once it was all said and done I think that's probably the that's definitely my understanding of what being an Irish sportsman probably should be there is still a kinship there of the kind of the local guys and the guys you play more regularly and so on and so forth but I have to say when they did the V to answer the hacker I was so conflicted because there was such a part of me that was like oh you wankers (laughs) what what a tosser thing to do like you know but at the same time really pissed off with the idea that you're not allowed to challenge the hacker at all because why should one team be the Standing, only ones that are yeah, allowed to make yeah. a statement so I thought like god it's really smart but it's so smarmy as well you know <laughs> and it was just like as you said god we're really into it already here I'm, I'm like arguing with myself as I, as I like try and get some breakfast into me before the match starts <laughs> <laughs> that's the, the eternal struggle of watching this England team to my mind anyway like the at the very start of the tournament before I started I, England as my pick to win the World Cup uh, and then there's a, there's, a, like, there's a weird thing about them where you're like this England team in a lot of ways are like are kind of likable I say that with like true kind of gritty uh jokingly but like they're like players like Mario Itoje or the their you know Curry and Underhill like there there's an element of kind of I don't know like something different to what we've experienced in other England but then they're mixed with other players who are maybe less likable and you, there's like there's this it's a really weird moment where like you get a like within five seconds a snapshot of like 
Underhill after you know nailing a guy in a tackle coming up is wiping blood off his face like that guy is like yeah. hard as nails yeah. and then it fixes to a man in the crowd wearing a Union Jack <laughs> suit and you're like okay, that's why that's that's it like it's like it's such a conflicted experience <laughs> there's so there's so like even the likability is so nuanced sometimes because like you mentioned Owen Farrell's smirk and it's so easy to dislike Owen Farrell and then you hear his interview after and he's got the thick Wigan accent and he's sound yeah. you know? <laughs> it's like I do actually like Farrell I just don't like Farrell on the rugby field you know? so I, I just love it I, I, I just think it's, it's going to be fun there's, a, there's, definitely a, there's definitely an argument that Northern Hemisphere rugby rugby in general is better served from England winning this weekend I just can't see myself not kind of <laughs> wanting the green team to win over the course of the game. And then, like in 2003, kind of thinking, yeah, they deserve it, fair play, once the final whistle goes. But that's another thing, right? You mentioned it. What about the performance itself, though? Because we can talk about New Zealand a little bit later and how fallible they ultimately were and how actually the analysis pre-tournament and even during tournament about their fallibility their possible weaknesses wasn't too far off the mark just because of what happened to Ireland at the weekend like that you know it was all there to be hit at and Eddie Jones obviously identified it and and the English players executed it better than obviously Ireland could but never take again taking them out of it it was one of the more perfect performances in terms of like shape tactics you know discipline as well that the English showed and then like even just their strike running everything about it I just thought was fantastic to score a try after two minutes and to set the tone like that but it was you know a try after two minutes sometimes can be catching teams on the hop like England worked for that try they went through all the phases they did it and you know obviously you do come up against a bit of a softer centre that early in the game that isn't expecting it and Tulagi ran in but Jesus Christ it was just an electric start like yeah, it was, and it was it was kind of the vintage just England team, reminding me of that the explosive start they had against Ireland as well, actually. Like, and it was just like it was choreographed to a T. Like, you get best ball carriers, Curry and Vinopola first who carries up. You get Watson isolated on a wing where they're trying to hide Richie Moanga and the tram tracks. Like, I, I don't think that works anymore. Actually, I think if you've got a weak defender. Uh, in your attack you either drop him or he needs to drop into the backfield I don't think uh, like this World Cup we've seen if you're looking at teams exposing that kind of frailty like you look at what happened Japan against Scotland they tried to hide their 10 on the wing straight away after scrum they bounced back blind and target him like steamroll him basically same similar thing sorry that was against South Africa yeah, similar thing again this weekend you know like you look at what New Zealand uh, England's first way thing they did was Richie Mwanga is trying to hide in the outside channel that's where we're going to run down that channel like we're going to isolate him one on one and we're going to expose weak defenders like, and that, I, I think if you're doing that anymore they actually just have to get into the backfield they have to swap with a fullback you can't, that, that tactic of trying to force them further out on the line just doesn't work anymore mm-hmm. Att- attacks are too kind of comp- uh, too intelligent and that's what England were and like that's why a part of me I had this kind of cr- crushing moment where I was watching the England-Australia quarterfinal with you actually and it was the moment where Pocock threw the offload that didn't go to hand and England broke up the field and I remember saying to you out loud oh England are going to win the World <laughs> England are going to win the World Cup and I had a similar moment the, the thing that kind of com- comparable like this is a nuanced enough comparison for, if, if anybody is into NFL I was watching the Patriots about three weeks ago and if, for those who don't know the New England Patriots defence this year has been like next level worldly but the thing that I was really impressed by what the past year what England do is that they kind of force you into 
like they'll lead you down a corridor and then box you off there so say for example if they like the, it's not as if the I think the like the paths aren't the uh, by any stretch of imagination seen a bit most this year or anything like close to it actually. But if they want if they want you to throw it to their secondary, they will force you to do that. If they want you to come up, come out of the pocket, they've done like they just dismantle quarterbacks so readily. And that's what England actually did. England totally dismantled New Zealand in so many different ways. So if that's their like you talk about defence and people often associate defence with line speed but then you think about really subtle things like counter-rucking at the, you know, at the breakdown you're there counter-mauling like Mario Toji in the mall the way he's like a boa constrictor just like really forcing if, he, if he, they want you to for, throw to the front they will make you do that they will throw towers up towards the back you'll lose a couple of line outs take the safe option throw to the front and try and maul the ball because that's bad like if you're throwing to the front of a, it's bad b- ball and your only real option is to you know you can't really go off the top there because it's bad ball for your back so you have to go to a maul and try and work it that way and if they want that to a maul like it was painfully obvious the two that Atoji ended up getting off the maul he was standing in the two channel for the ones before that he stood at the back or in the four at, at four like as a jumper he didn't even go to the ground so he was clearly like they'd forced New Zealand to try and adapt the line out and then played right yeah. into their hands you look at their kick chase game the but, but that we just mentioned that underhill the hit the monster tackle on, on Barrett that started by a kick into the corner Slade like officially that was a missed tackle he jumped straight up out of the line forced the guy back inside but he knew exactly what he was doing he like it worked perfectly he fought instead of a guy getting you know a bit of space down the, the flank he comes back in field and Undertale lines him up and absolutely nails him for, and eventually England forced a turnover like they just dismantle teams so brutally effectively and even though it might not be you know like as strikingly intelligent as some of what New Zealand's attack it still is very intelligent what they do in and, and how they do it like they're a really kind of a really efficient team who've peaked perfectly for this tournament yeah it's funny you say about the the little things that they do that like the counter rucking for example it's insane how yeah. good they were on the ground and how good that back row and Anatoji together that almost as a foursome were like it leads to things like the moment you felt that the game was over when Jordy Barrett was hit early and hard and tried a ridiculous offload they hit off I don't know whose head it was and England turned it over and it just felt like there's no way back here and that comes from we don't feel like we necessarily will retain the ball if we go to ground here you know a lot of people said it was stupid but that's where it comes from it comes from a game of turnovers constant pressure not having comfortable possession and I was like something I wanted to talk about when we talked about New Zealand was like when you're chasing the game how often Bowden Barrett was kicking the ball away and kicking out into touch and giving England back possession. It was like a game from the 1990s where the action area would be the same for a good kind of 15, 20 minutes, you know, and people just clear out to the 22, back in again. But he didn't have a huge amount of choices because New Zealand weren't going to go 80 metres. They they needed a a mistake in the line-out. They needed something like that. They just weren't. And that's a remarkable thing to say about a team like New Zealand. You know, we talked earlier in the tournament about Joey Carberry kicking out for the bonus point against Japan. And, you know, people criticised it. And we said openly, it was like, Ireland weren't going to go 80 metres and score a try there. It just wasn't going to happen. We weren't playing that kind of rugby. And it doesn't just turn on in the last minute. But that's Ireland. I don't think I've ever heard that or taught it watching New Zealand before. And even the, like you mentioned the lineup mistake, did you notice what uh, what Reed did in that that lineup? Like if you jump with a guy and you know uh, mess with his arm, for anyone who hasn't seen this, you should watch this back. If you jump, guy mess his arm, you're going to give away a straight penalty. But if you lift and you push the other lifter, 
there's not the same thing like watch the height Atoja gets on that throw and watch back the height he normally gets the lifters at the back is impeded can't get a full extension actually because they showed a replay of that to see was he impeded and I don't know who the jumper was for New Zealand was it Whitelock Whitelock yeah Yeah, and they kind of went oh no it's fine it's fine he didn't you know but there was no analysis of the under oh what was happening below they were literally just to see did did Whitelock grab the arm which he didn't he yeah no he did yeah he absolutely didn't yeah it's it's really interesting you say that because I missed that the commentary missed it um, but you're saying that we might well, I, they knew what they were doing yeah I'll try and do something maybe on the weekend this, but it, just watch what Reed does after. it's actually, it's really really intelligent because like so Curry can't get a full extension because he's got an arm kind of not like it's not holding him down it's just across him into his face so he can't lift you know, you know what I mean? like if you want to lift your arms directly over his shoulder he can't get his right arm straight up so it, uh, it is about a foot lower than he should be and sure enough the ball flies out of the top the throw is actually fine I think the throw is on the money but uh, nevertheless like that was like that again as you said like that wasn't you know in New Zealand's like it was a bit of kind of I don't know a small bit of like dark arts in a, a lineup but it wasn't their genius unlocking England and it's actually like I think it was epitomized by their back row their, the England's back row is like I was thinking this during the game like, I watched this game in, a, in an Irish bar in, in Spain uh, the first time I watched it with three Spaniards who very kind of generously allowed me to turn over from the highlights of the I think it was Villarreal and Alves it was a 4-1 the league game was on Friday night it was when you played Saturday morning and I, the, the one thing I, when I went on holidays I deleted Twitter I didn't want to I mean, you know yourself like just yeah. get away from it didn't want it on my phone but the one thing that I wanted to ask people after this game was was that the best back row performance ever like as a, as a collective I'm not talking about like one individual I think there has been better like I think I remember the 2011 the Deuce Tour the Wales France semi-final the Deuce Tour and even actually Hard Nordic that day was was incredible but they Warburton got sent off early so they didn't really have a huge amount of yeah. opposition whereas this was an, an elite level New Zealand back row against a trio who like a back row who just kind of did everything like you look at a guy like Curry who you, the very first line out the, tri, the, the try he's the guy who jumps in that line out his carrying was phenomenal his defence well, I mean again is, is impeccable like the work he does on the ground the work Sam Underhill gets to like he, the, that line must have two engines he is absolutely ridiculous he, the, they, the, two turnovers in quick succession just around the half time break there with the, it was both Curry and Underhill both forced the penalties on the halfway he'd been even a polar if he's running a decoy he's winning the penalty because somebody's tackling him off the ball if he's running a straight line he's making five yards um, he'd, at the, towards the end of the game then you saw his work in defence when he's literally picking Severis up and dumping him out for a line out like the, as a trio I don't like I, I actually don't think the only ones I could think of in my head was the I remember I can't remember uh, I think it was I was a kid so I and I was watching it on TV so I wasn't at it but Munster played a Welsh team in the Heineken Cup and Leamy and Quinlan both scored tries and Wallace was phenomenal that was in my head and then the other one that I was thinking of was the uh, 2015 World Cup final it wasn't McCaw at his peak of his powers but it was in terms of like crucial interventions he had the tackle and the pass for the try and then he was also ha- on, in that team as well he had Kano with him and Kieran Reid and he was up against the uh, Fardy Hooper Pocock back row so that like but in terms of as a trio I think this was as good as, as it gets from a back row it actually shows the way the game is going it's these players who are back like playing two sevens they're not two sevens they're two complete back rows like yeah. Underhill and Curry are actually they're brilliant on both sides of the ball and I actually think that's the way the game is going it's, it's, two, it's, it's two sixes and two sevens exactly yeah. Two sevens, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah and you have to you have to take into account as well when you're talking about England is that outside of the scrum and the line out 
you're kind of playing four back rows because Mario Atoji does everything in back rows supposed to as well as any of them and, and you could argue Laws does come close as yeah, well yeah exactly. and then yeah, you've got like Wilson coming off the bench as well who's so impactful and one thing I'd say is actually there was about five there was a, I, 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 between Curry and Underhill I don't know the stats I would say they probably had about maybe three holding you know like straight turnover penalties between them um, it was like they were blending into each other at some stage it's funny you say <laughs> that they both do everything you know it was like you didn't know who was the six and who was the seven but every single time I thought I can't believe Garces letting them away with this they're completely in from the side and it, it was where they ended up but if you watch the replay every single time they came straight through the gate Yeah, and actually that was for me that was like hands up fair play here you know what I mean they are just doing everything against New Zealand that you're supposed to do it's a lot to be said you, I, I would also argue outside of the back row that Ben Young's had his best ever game that I've ever seen him play for England anyway and I would say George Ford like Wow, George yeah. Ford was outstanding yeah. and just I think his best game for England I think probably his best ever game of rugby and you look at it now and it's like if there was for some reason tomorrow a reason that England had to play with the 110 for the first time in about five years that becomes a conversation and <laughs> you know because he was he outshone Farrell by a long way in the, in, in the course of that game but not only not only in it like for a guy with all the speculation about his defending ability, his defense was phenomenal. The rip early in the game just set like that set a tone for for me in terms of what uh, what Ford did. And he like he's really, I like he's really controlled in in what he does. Like he seems to be a guy who deals really really well with pressure, which is obviously is, is massive. And then you've got like this thing where like they seem to seamlessly if you know if, if Farrell wants to stand in as a first receiver, if I like uh, the amount of times where Sinclair was their first receiver and throwing a pass off that like throwing a tip on like he's been a distributor you've got a prop standing in as a distributor That's it's just some really subtle things like that that I like about this England team the amount of times where one of the like most basic fundamental rules in rugby that kind of doesn't make sense anymore is like you have to have a a, a, a pack somebody from the a forward in a ruck like the, 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 the ruck the amount of times where instead England would just have like it would be to Alagi and uh, May on one wing, they'd come back across the other side, and it would be Farrell hitting the rook. And their, I mean, their rook efficiency is just as good as any back row. Yeah. But they're, it's, it's still they're able to because they're doing that. They're able to get their arrangements. Like if it's a one three three one, or sometimes like one three two two, if they get those arrangements set up, and it's actually you know if, when you're I was watching this game back this morning, when you rewatch games. You're like how do we, and you if you wanted to demonstrate to people like the ideal one three three one it's actually really hard because it's always a four like in in theory you know exactly what it looks like in practice it's really hard to get that like a screenshot of it and highlight it because there's always a forward who's hit a rock or there's always a forward who has you know is down or is something kind of gone off in terms of but the, the structure overall structure is there just not exactly perfectly England actually have that perfectly quite often like they quite quite often have that set up perfectly they're an extremely well coached team and yeah. that must be like for a guy like John Mitchell who's now played New Zealand twice kept them to less than 25 points over those games that must be a real kind of vindication for their kind of methods and I guess it's also kind of hints at where maybe that you know if you're expanding your style in an Irish context it doesn't necessarily have to be revolutionary like it can be minute improvements it can be interlinks between backs and forwards that have massive massive benefits it's a huge point actually and as well I was going to when you started this this is what I was going to ask you and you've led me perfectly into it is to bring it back to Ireland just very very briefly because there's one more thing I want to talk about England I want to talk about New Zealand and the other game obviously but to bring it back to Ireland you mentioned Sinclair right Sinclair was taken off after 
50 minutes I think he was the first one to go after like an absolutely brilliant performance he does all the work in the loose as well as in the scrum whereas Makovinopola is there as the kind of you know the 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 more kind of traditional prop forward I kind of think there's an element of the little things what you're talking about there with the rook and everything like that and who goes into it and stuff like that that for all the criticism of Ireland being almost overly structured I think England and the top teams think about the overall 80 minutes in a probably more structured and more organized way than we come into it all we, I, I feel like there's a kind of a case of Keen Healy looks a little bit tired, let's get him off. Whereas I feel like there's a full-on plan there. Eddie Jones talks about finishers, and we laugh at him, you know, and still do. But he he absolutely plans the game as a 23-man game, you know. And I think that there's, for all we get lost in the structure of our play as our one-up, 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 keep go, you know, and our defensive system and all of that, I feel like that other teams and especially England and just to give Eddie Jones a bit of credit have probably a little bit more structure on right Kyle Sinclair go and empty the tank for 50 minutes because you're going off then anyway you know yeah. whereas Maka we're going to need you a little bit more keep some in reserve don't go into every ruck don't go into don't be taking the ball in hand don't be running into every tackle you know I don't know if, if you think that's wrong or not no like it's, it's interesting Eddie Jones use of his bench has always been interesting like the, the, it, it doesn't matter now because their gammas are paid off but like selecting Willie Hines was a huge call like think about that like he's got guys really really talented guys who doing really good things in the membership and he elects to pick a guy who hasn't really been exposed to a squad before but I think it's just like you talked about uh, Young's there Young's form was bad coming into this tournament make no mistake but he just backs him to come through that and also backs him that what I want him to do in terms of his game management he doesn't have another scrum half to do it so he just doesn't do it he just yeah. doesn't it doesn't do it and similarly like if he has what I think Eddie Jones does so well with a squad management what you're talking about there is he like he manages exactly what he has at his disposal so the guys he trusts in he has absolute full trust in the guys that he doesn't just don't really get a chance like the thing about flirtations with Ashton early in the year it just never was going to happen because he doesn't have the same trust like it, it's not here's my system and then I'm going to fit pairs into it which m- might be I think that's a dis- uniquely Irish rugby problem where you people craft a system and then try and force round pegs and square holes instead of crafting around the players that are there so if you've got a distributor like somebody like Robbie Henshaw who we know has got incredible hands I think you should use him as a distributor like you don't you don't try and force him to be a, a battering ram yeah I, this sort of stuff like that I think is actually what you could learn from what England do I think he knows like Eddie Jones has it down what his what he has at his disposal and then so he uses that so there's no like there's no the Eddie Jones way there's no like if you the, think about the Japan team you saw at the last World Cup and the England team they're different. entirely yeah. different the people from Australia who are like I can't believe Eddie Jones is playing like this compared to what he did with us but they're totally different teams so he uses what he has there which actually is all the more impressive and then I'm sure like people like John Mitchell probably have more rigid systems in their own head defensively and you, know, you have to come up to speed there but within that I think there's still uh, what was, what's there like flexibility to, to use what's there yeah Jones, I think, it needs like a special mention. Like one, he's without without box like, office. All, yeah, he's the funniest man in world rugby. <laughs> most annoying at the same time, and you can take him. You know, his, his little dig at Gatland yesterday about enjoying the third and fourth place playoff. Very funny. Like he's just kind of nobody like him. All the way going back to the scummy Irish stuff from a few years ago that I thought he was very unfairly quoted about, and then like. You heard him kind of speaking the few words of Japanese after the game, and you you know uh, you almost remember then as like Jesus Christ, like he beats South Africa as Japan coach, 
he obviously had a good record as Australia coach before that and now what he's done is like take a team that didn't get it out of the group in the 2015 World Cup we're at their we're, we're basically where Ireland are now in their kind of reflections and everything's a disaster and started off so well then went to absolute pot they lost six games in a row England and then to go from that to this again I just it's, it's a phenomenal achievement but they do have the players as well let's not forget New Zealand speaking of having the players I think that's a question mark for one of the first times ever you know like you think you'll, you'll see Richie Mwanga again you know what I mean he's going to develop as a player he's very inexperienced it does beg the question did they know they needed something to go away from just kind of like yeah. Smith and Barrett and then try and work around someone else with someone more experienced, like maybe like a Crotty or someone like that, you know, or um, Ben Smith, whatever, you know, like did they know they needed that that wasn't going to be enough? So they tried something that ultimately didn't work. I don't know, but there is, there does seem to me, I talked to Ben Pope about this a couple of weeks ago. It's like, we forget sometimes because we're used to New Zealand magnificence that the team, especially the team that won the 2015 World Cup, you mentioned the back row earlier, 2011, 2015, the, the, maybe, the, maybe around 2013, 2014, like this is probably one of the best, probably the best team ever, you know? And it's like, no matter who you are or where you are, you don't just automatically replace Dan Carter, Richie McCall, even some of these lads that are coming to the end now, like, you know, like Whitelock and Kieran Reid and these boys, you know, Moody, they're once-in-a-lifetime players. So while you'll always have a really, really high standard, you can't just... Every generation isn't going to just replace these guys, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Like, there's, there's Hanson questions, there's style of play questions, there's decision-making on the pitch questions, all of that. But they all come down to, I think, that England had better players than them this weekend. Yeah, I agree, and I also think that like, uh, sir, like the you know the the extent of your career can be difficult. Like, I think a guy like Whitlock will be kind of furious with his performance, and I you know, like there's something to be said for trusting in Lloyd attendance and all that stuff as well. But at the same time, like the they need to repay that as well. So his in Ill, Ill discipline was. Remember last week I was talking about entries into the game, like like New Zealand just or sorry we we're talking about like. Ireland gave New Zealand so many basic entries into the game and New Zealand not only did New Zealand not really weren't able to force but I mean when I say that like it's like it's just a foothold you know what I mean like it's like a platform off a lineup but oftentimes they'd get a platform and only get one phase in and it'd break down they wouldn't get to develop the way that they want to and as well as that then they actually conspired to work against them um, getting those entries into the game by indiscipline and they, uh, the guy who pinned it for me was Whitlock like yeah. why why is the two penalties in quick succession he actually could, like and they're just so needless like why why are you blocking like uh, we after the last 18 months has been you know dominated by talk about escorts escort, escorting escorting don't cover it if, if you're doing it you have to be subtle about it why are you veering left like that to give away penalty? why are you pushing a guy in a ruck like that just leave like that I think will, is, is infuriating because on both occasions it denied New Zealand a, a launch pad like it, it actually worked totally against them so I think that's probably nearly like if New Zealand were reviewing this game that's where they'd start in terms of whatever about the you know this goes back to the Ireland but thing I wonder is it because and this is what I'm saying is like that's what I'm saying like there's some of these lads who are great players who aren't the same player anymore you know he's like in, I think that's probably fair but I'm saying it's like I, I know there's a kind of a loyalty I know how it's difficult it's like we're looking at the same thing with Joe Schmidt when you're coming to the end of your term it's different in 2015 Hanson would have been rootless it might not be the case in 2019 it's difficult when you've soldiered with guys on your last call 
to cut them off, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I do feel like if there was somebody making noise, if there was somebody there under it, if it was, I don't know who that, that person would be, I, you know, it's like Sam Kane wasn't picked for for Barrett, you know, and you're like he made those calls. If there's a play, if there's a player there to come and take it, I think he will. It's just like who's replacing Whitelock? Who's replacing the props? Who's replacing? Kieran Reid you know Kieran Reid played well against Ireland and did like he, he, he wasn't at fault against England or anything like that didn't anything. but he's clearly not the player he was he's yeah. clearly not the all black legend that he rightly is and always will be he didn't need this World Cup if he wasn't ready for it to cement that legacy you know but I don't know I wonder if, are the players coming through and that's just, that's just bound to happen that's just normal you can't win every World Cup you know I don't yeah. care I don't care who you are but I think there's a part of me that just like it just puts into stark perspective how poor Ireland's performance was again and we don't need we don't need to go into it you can talk about it for a second or whatever but like it, it actually does need to be illustrated this isn't a coincidence this isn't a they beat we they beat us by 40 England beat them by 10 therefore England are better than 50 I don't mean it in that simplistic way but the fact that England were able to expose all that we kind of knew was wrong with the All Blacks and we were beaten before we joined the hacker yeah I think tells you everything you know it, absolutely and it also kind of reinforces to me like the and this is a conversation that's going to go on for years and we don't actually need to have it now but the like it kind of the style thing I don't like last week we kind of didn't I remember in the postmortem of the Irish game we didn't really get into the style and the reason that I was like reluctant to do that in some ways is because it actually like regardless of your approach to a game or the team structure or system like if you're not like brutally efficient in doing it uh, disciplined and accurate the rest of it doesn't matter. So say, for example, the I don't care how Wales or South Africa want to play. Like, I genuinely, it doesn't really affect me. If, But as long as it's done accurately, I think you would enjoy it. Like, you would get something out of it. But when you're watching, like, aimless box kicks, uh, the, the way they were, when you're watching, like, there was that phase where uh, the ball went wide, Potter tried to kick through, kicked it off Davies, Parks picked it up, kicked it off uh, Etzebet, ball went down in the rook, they didn't score the rook, ball came back out, Davis kicked the box kick up into uh, South Africa territory. Leroux came to claim it, knocked it straight out, knocked yeah, it out for a, a line out. Yeah, like yeah. so, like. <laughs> Which, by the way, I think South Africa did three times in the second like, half it, alone. But that one phase of play, it's funny you say it, but we haven't talked about it before. But I can see it completely in my mind's eye still. You know, from, from like as if it just happened. So it, when that like it doesn't matter about just when during the half of this game that they were more accurate in certain elements than Wales were. So you had the moment where like Pollard's kicked to the corner where he uh, outside of the uh, ball wasn't swung left stood back on to right outside of his right boot kicked a perfect pass into the corner where they threw up Etzbet and actually forced uh, Wales didn't get clean ball off that pinned them back that was like it's reminding me of a moment of like you know, the O'Gara pinging into the corner dead accurate like, that was in, I no issue with that I think that was pretty enjoyable I like, get something out of that but it's the other stuff that I just find like I, and I know it's like who might to you know judge a World Cup semi-final and all the pressure and that comes with that but compared to Saturday it was chalk and cheese for me like they're just purely down to I'm not talking about styles or any other stuff that you're going to hear elsewhere I'm talking about real basic accuracy and when it's that inaccurate it, I, it just it fades away and that's where if we're if you were to look forward to the I think the biggest thing that South Africa need to do if they're going to beat England like they will not blunt them into submission That it just won't happen so I, I think the, what South Africa the way that they could learn from this is build on it really, really slightly. So say, for example, you want to go after the 10, you're going to run down the channel, as they did to Bigger, and actually had a lot of success. Like, Vermalin, who I think is a fine player, putting his head down, 
the first time he did it put his head down a straight up carry and actually knocked on the ball like it was there was nothing about the carry there was no intelligence to it. the reason he was doing it was because they're trying to work their way away from the touchdown to get in a more accurate box take up the field uh, you know and what, like what did he really get out of that like he uh, he did it in the second half when he caught the kick head down carried off France had to go off injured because he bar- barred into shoulder but like it doesn't the carry itself no. doesn't do anything but say for example if you do you can still get after a 10 in other ways like I don't think him doing that to Ford will work but what I do think would work is if they went to go down that channel he's so say they're moving le- le- left right you you get a, a back on forward let's say it's, it's a bet for, for Malin uh, like it doesn't matter anyone coming down forward's channel it's not forward you want to target it's everybody else so if he's doing that what will happen I, I, and this is like a really basic thing this is the Wallace O'Gara you will have Curry or Underhill hunting across to try and help uh, for it that's what they'll do they'll come across trying to it. so instead of you trying to bulldoze your way through both of them what I think would work really successfully is if you try and get something like Colby coming off the wing who's, who knows back fit doesn't have to be him Pollard running you know a very basic switch play and he tries to expose because you've got somebody hunting along to get to forward he's leaving a bigger gap on the other side that's what England did to New Zealand with Moanga and that's what South Africa actually need to get to like they need to show that bit more intelligence that way like England's kick game is going to have to adjust because now Colby's in the backfield and he can run the so you can use that to your advantage like you can if Colby's in the backfield why don't you throw forward alongside him so then suddenly England like we've, if we kick to them Vermaelen's going to carry and do exactly that head down and bludgeon his way back at us we're going to give him you know it's like kicking to a slingshot he'll just fire straight back at you or we've got Colby who might dance his way through us so then they'll keep the ball in hands more like the I just think that South Africa have all the capabilities to be a tad bit more intelligent. And if they are, they could win a World Cup final. Yeah. We'll talk about the South Africa coaching team, the former Munster coaching team. Uh, how many did you say there was? Five? Four, yeah. Four, four yeah. of the ex-Munster yeah. coaches are uh, in charge of South Africa, obviously all behind um, Razi Erasmus. We're going to talk to former Munster half Johnny Holland about that in just a few minutes, which I haven't even mentioned a half an hour into the podcast. But um, just more on South Africa, you know, like some of their decision making you're talking about, like where are the box kick going and what are they doing? Like it beggars belief. You're, you're, you basically get out of jail as a Wales and a counter-attacking thing by Liam Williams' injury, you know? And you have Halfpenny back in there, right? And it's like, they never... All they did was play to Halfpenny's strengths for the whole game. They made him look like the best fullback in the world because he is brilliant under the high ball. He is absolutely fantastic. He never made one mistake. He was just like... It was like glue on his hands every time it came down. But they never tried to do what, to be honest, is Elliot Daly's weakness. And run at them get behind them you know like you just expose them in defence go like, through know, some phases yeah behind the defence and leave it to the full back to mop up that is not Elliot Daly's strength it's also not Lee Halfpenny's strength and if they were there for another 10 years I don't think Lee Halfpenny would have been challenged in that way you know it's not the easiest thing you have to execute well to get into that position with a full back but we know you know again Elliot Daly's going to mop up the way Halfpenny did for that whole game if that's the way they're kicking it to him all day, you know? Yeah, and I mean, this is like, if the story of the, you know, if the story of the World Cup is Japan for a lot of people, a very close second is penalty advantage tries. And like, you look at South Africa, (laughs) it's exactly what they did again. Like, I I actually think, we talked about NFL earlier, I think that we eventually, outside, like rugby seditions, to my mind, our analysts have basically like what the Baltimore Ravens are doing on two pointers now they've worked out that the risk reward for penalty advantages 
is syncs up in terms of going for tries but the rest of the time I think there's another thing it was like just threes six nine twelve Independent. like I, I I actually think that there, there's enough they're content now to ground that they're the, those small wins I think that it's funny for Wales' try you know which they eventually went for the scrum and that was a big call by massive yeah and Jones and you know you have to say fair play to them for it because they were being destroyed in the scrum and they got it and I was delighted for them I have to say but I think Wales would have kept going through the phases until now this minute if they hadn't eventually got the penalty <laughs> and I think the referee almost gave the penalty to the boredom yeah. Ken Owens must have carried the ball 16 times in that phase and I think eventually Gareth says oh, there must have been a penalty at some point in this I'm just going to give it here because South Africa were determined not to give it away and Wales were determined to win the penalty not score the try and I think you're completely right in what you're saying. I really do think that that's what it's become. And, and immediately then they tried something, they kicked it away. Sometimes I think you can be almost a bit brash in kicking it away. It's like it's obvious. We saw the clerk basically running immediately to the corner as soon as the advantage was given, knowing that there was a ball going through there. Yeah. You know, like it, 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 it's like I think there is different. There, it, it, we're almost at penalty advantage stage now where it's the same play it's either a grubber true with the outside of the boot or it's across cross field, field yeah. to the to the winger it's like there must be other ways of having a free play there must be and you know because we need to like as I said like when the scum half is able to completely uh, like uh, nullify your threat because he knows what you're going to do because every other team in the world does it it's not much of an advantage then you know yeah and like it's, I mean that's just like, I think South Africa had the way they went wide for that try like they have that in their locker but I think in their head like the risk award isn't enough against the West defense so we're just not going to do that unless there's a a penalty advantage and I guess that's like Razi Rasmus has actually come out um, this week and defended like the, the critics of, and he said you know they're yeah. paying the presenters and he's dead right like, and Colby um, will be back but it's not going to change any of the I don't think yeah. play, you know yeah. and to be honest anyone like uh, did you even really notice that Colby wasn't there the way they played the game yeah did you, know, like, did you notice when he was there because he yeah. had to get an opportunity anyway yeah. looking for the ball a couple of times <laughs> against Japan with like going literally going 60 yards to, to get a high ball catch <laughs> you know from a Gary Owen or something but um, look I think South Africa and Wales to be honest like who weren't blameless in it just bored bored us to tears on Sunday morning it was a truly awful game that became kind of interesting when it was 16-0 but even the way it petered out with just like a three-point lead for South Africa and a three-minute scrum you know before they kicked it out I think told us everything what about Wales though Gatland is um, finishing up with them he's got the third fourth place playoff is the stupidest game in world sport and I include all other third and fourth place playoffs in that because rugby's not a game that you can half arse and play when you're as low as a snake's belly and all you want to do is go home and you have to go out and play this pointless exhibition game but I suppose Gatlin's never beaten the All Blacks as Wales, as Wales coach so maybe maybe it's a farewell for Hansen and for Gatlin but like they kind of I don't know. They lost Liam Williams. They lost, like, obviously they lost Falatel before the game. and then George G- North with his hamstring. Then, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, when they're well in the game. But, like, to lose the boat number eights and to have to play Moriarty, you could have been a very impactful bench player, you know, and losing that impact off the bench then as well. Like, a lot went wrong for them. Everybody has injuries over the course of the World Cup. It just felt to me like Wales, it affected them in the wrong places. Um yeah, obviously to lose North like in the first half as well and to lose your kind of back backline sub that early as well. Like 
there was definitely a chance for them though and that like I'd, I'd, I'd feel really conflicted if I was a Welsh fan because there's a part of me that would be super proud of them that they got ran it so close and they kind of did everything and they fought to the very last and they lost by three points but then there's another part of me that's like they left it behind them they left it there was a time when when they got back into the game when it was 16-16 and before that when it was 9-all Wales were the only team that looked like doing anything you know yeah like to my mind the way I was thinking at that stage of the game like watching it live now was kind of like uh, I was like e- this team like, in a real kind of you know cliche driven analysis they you, you had your you used up all your luck against France like that was your you got the rubber green that day I don't think you, you're going to get it today like it, that's, it just had that sense about it to me that like they needed something they needed a ball to break and that's again like going back to the England comparison it must be so so trying for New Zealand when you run out of options and you have this really well drilled team and then you know you kick a box kick and it comes off a guy's head and comes back on the wrong side like it must be like you you look at the the past defense like they're crushing a team at the weekend and then a running back Chris make a carry and his own teammates falls his boot ticks the ball out of his hand and Hightower can pick it and run the ball back like you know what I mean like, these are just the breaks go as well as well as the momentum going against you as well as technique going against you then you feel like breaks start going against you and I imagine mentally that is soul destroying and uh, especially when you look at you know, it's funny you said you talked about the pride that I think people are taking away you know, like you looked at them after the game and I don't know if people have seen Davies uh, World Cup uh, it's up on the Rugby World Cup social channels interview after this game and they're devastated like they are absolutely on the floor crushed and I think the re- a lot of the reason for that is that you know, if you look at the we mentioned the Warwick and Red card like it, the, I, that must be easier to take mentally when you've got you're down to 14 men you feel like you've been aggrieved by a red uh, referee who like has sent off your captain mm-hmm. as opposed to this where it feels like you know you just didn't get that break like you just didn't, didn't get that break I imagine that for and for me actually that like it leaves Wales in a small bit of kind of like in a sense kind of limbo because like what like Wales don't have to throw up, rip up the script here like you know when Gatlin does go I don't think it requires huge change maybe a bit more sophistication in attack but I imagine that that is kind of the most frustrating thing that's like was this I guess the question that we ask themselves now is was this our ceiling and yeah. uh, to a certain extent I kind of think it was possibly but like again if I'm a if I'm a Welsh fan who made it to Japan or got up on Sunday morning to watch it I, I, I have to say leaving analysis aside there is a party you just would have like a lot of pride in that, in that, that group of guys and I, I hope that they don't receive anything other than that, you know. Oh, as yeah, especially yeah, as, yeah. especially if it does fall off a little bit in the mm-hmm. post Gatland era. Like you know, Alan and Jones will always have that respect, but you just hope that the kind of the rest of them do as well, because like in many many ways, without having an amazing tournament, they left. They almost made a World Cup final and left every drop of it out there. Yeah, you know, ground it the out. Only yeah. reason they did because they never found their form. That's the funny thing about it. Like, and that that for me is almost even more impressive. Because Ireland never found their form, and look what happened to them, <laughs> you know, without always bringing it back to it. Anyway, look, speaking of Ireland, kind of, and uh, Munster, more uh, importantly, you've been talking to former Munster half Johnny Holland about their, the, the Munster, uh, you know, look, we've been talking about negative style of play for five minutes and then saying it's all down to a former Munster group of players, a group of coaches that are involved in South Africa, but I won't be saying that, Mars. Yeah, and it, it's... <laughs> I tell you what's funny about it. Like the, I think there's something remarkable that a cohort could kind of come together at Munster. Like you have a guy like Jack Nymer, who is uh, apparently the genius behind Razzy Rasmus, who's a bit more logistical and the d- director of rugby figure. But then they come across a guy like Alid Wal- Walters, who was the had been at Munster for a long time before they arrived. Was a head of fitness. 
take him into the fold bring him back to South Africa Felix Jones is out of a job and Felix Jones also comes into that fold goes to South Africa and together they orchestrate a World Cup final and it was interesting to hear people would know all about Erasmus people would know all about Jack Neumar but it was interesting to hear uh, Colassi the, the box captain talk actually about he name dropped Adel Walters who you know made a massive difference in apparently regards to their fitness um kind of and that's you know they don't really make mistakes because their fitness is so high that's apparently that's part of their their game plan and a guy who's got huge experience of working with them and also a former teammate in Felix Jones is Johnny Holland the former Munster coach so I think just this is for people who are more interested in this this will be a part of a piece that's going up on Saturday but Johnny I think is a really well placed guy to talk exactly about what is that work like how do what exactly is it that Allied or Felix do that has South Africa where they are To start, I might actually read you a, a quote and see what you think of it. This is the Colossi, the box captain, was asked about it and he said, the best thing Razzie's done, he put us through work. He brought in a guy like Alid Walters, made a difference with regards to our fitness. He told us he didn't mind if we make mistakes because as long as we were fit, we weren't going to drop off that day. What he wanted was a desire to keep working. And I was wondering, does that kind of quote register with you in terms of your experience with, with Alid? Um, yeah, like Alid was, Alice's got a very good way about him that they're working hard but they're doing this without hating him. As the same usually goes. Like he, there was never any uh, conflict between Alid and the squad. He was always able to keep the balance and actually add something when there were tougher days, like he was always able to pick the squad up. Um I think fellas in Ireland are doing this warm up where everyone's linked and uh you do your squats and your lunges when you're linked in the kind of huddle. I I wouldn't put it past Alid being the one to have made that up because uh, it's the first time I came across it anyway. We had a miserable day fighting for Champions Cups uh, spot or whatever. Results weren't exactly going our way. Uh, really cold up in CIT, not even on the normal pitch. We had to change to the hockey kind of raster turf and uh, added to that warm up out of the bag. And everyone's kind of pick up the move as well. But so that's the kind of influence that I was playing the eyes on people. But like at the same time, I've had SNC coaches where you know they're, I wouldn't say authoritarian because they can be quite good, but they're. Um, they're fairly kind of strict on what they want to do within the squad. They want to get it come across a certain way so that the respect is, is always there and you don't cross the line with them. But I think Alan just has a good way about him that he can kind of draw you in without being the boss all the time. He'd have to crack with you, but you knew when it was time to work that you were working. Like, and he'd, he'd always lay it out. He never kind of shied away from, from the work that had to be done because he was friends with you or it came across kind of friendlier. The work was always done, but he had just a good way of getting that across as well. Like, that's really interesting. Can I ask you what's his what's his rugby brain like? I, the only reason I ask that is because one thing that is striking when if, if you see the you know that the halftime cam they've done during the World Cup and they show the, yeah. the South Africa dressing room and they always have like people will if they, if they watch that they'll recognize that because he's always in the huddle or he's sitting amongst the, the the players like on the bench like there seems to be a real kind of and I imagine even from your own experience whether that be playing or coaching it's probably really important to have SNC guys involved heavily with with the team as well like it, it, would he be able to contribute that way? I. I wouldn't have said so. Not that he doesn't know the game. Like he he knows the game, alright. He's been around it long enough. He's been to different parts of the world as well. So sure, I'd say yeah. maybe I just never saw it in that context. But he, you know, you can have an input from like I know the way Razi has dealt with uh, with Jack. Jack was a was the SNC first, the physio first, and became a defence coach. So like Razi is obviously open to having fellas outside of just pure rugby people maybe having an input. You never know what way they're kind of treating. GPS data or something like that 
whether he wants an input from S&C or backroom or, you know, what way the work rate is or what way the collisions are or whatever it is. I don't know, but um, I don't think Ali would have had an input rugby-wise. But he, like, he would have run uh, conditioning games for us and it was more getting your metres per minute up and allowing the flow of the game as opposed to coaching rugby, like, you know. Yeah, of course, yeah. What about Felix then? Would you have earmarked him as a, as a player now when you played him? Would you have earmarked him as being a, a coach? Yeah, like as a as a player when I was with him, I think like I always heavily respected Felix and I kind of nearly made a mantra for myself when he retired and I got to come back from my injury that I kind of had this thing of what would Felix do because I wanted to nearly honour the work rate from Felix and I felt if I turned up to training and I didn't really want to be there all the day, I was doing it in, like it was an in, in injustice to Felix because I know what he would have done if he was on the training pitch because he gave everything like 100% every time. That's a, kind of what I felt around him. He was always switched on, never really, never switched off. Like Felix is very cracked, but around the rugby part of the game, it was full attention all the time. Like, and, and that's where I'd have had just a lot of respect for the guy in terms of not slacking off myself because he kind of led the way in terms of work rate and all that. But um, and his attention to detail, the smallest things, that's what probably has led him into the, the coaching role. I know it didn't go probably the way they had planned in Munster, so I'm not sure how he's managing his role over in South Africa. I don't know a whole lot about his role, to be honest. But as a player, you would have seen that in him. Like you know, the, there was like a lot of non-negotiables in terms of work rate and, and his attention to detail that he would never be found uh, found out with because he knew it inside out. You know, he it wasn't going to be through a lack of work or a lack of analysis or anything like that that would go against him like. Can I ask you a small bit about your impressions of South Africa this tournament? Like I saw you on uh, I saw you on Twitter you were turning on Wales I think yeah. uh, for, for, yeah, yeah. for the game itself. Like what have you made of them so far? Do you know I saw them against uh, New Zealand the first game and I thought it was typical Razzie pressure game and he, that's the way he said to stall out. You know I think when he came into us it was it wasn't a kick it wasn't a, con- a contestable kick to clear your lines. It was a contestable kick to get the ball back or at least transfer the pressure to them. So his big thing was to transfer the pressure. Whether you're kicking it, you're, you're putting them under pressure in the air hoping they're going to drop it or you retain the ball so that you can attack them in a better pace. Um, so I thought they were quite impressed in the first 20 minutes. The All Blacks just did really well to turn it around and take their two or three chances, you know. So like I thought they were um, not unlucky, but I, I just thought the All Blacks really did a job to get away from the amount of pressure they put on, on them and then I didn't see South Africa too much until uh, the weekend again and I just thought it was like watching paint right it was some, it was some of the like there's just so much more in them like the attacking rugby that they can play and that I've seen the likes of Andre Pollard play uh, Vinny LaRue um, they can play rugby like and it was just reliant on forcing mistakes from the opposition and that's why I was probably a little bit vocal on it you know, Wales were not able to play and probably got a bit nervous because of the way that the pressure was transferred and the physicality that the South Africans brought to the tactical contest and, and the break. And I think they were just, you know, they got caught up themselves in that kind of kicking game as well. But I, I wrote an article and uh, at the, the game needs England to win. I got a bit of backlash because People's Republican spirit comes out and it's England. Uh, it's against England at all costs. Like, but I think... That's what I wrote it about. England played all the rugby in the semi-finals to go and beat the back-to-back champions where South Africa kind of just squeezed life out of the game to beat Wales, if you get me. Like, I just think the English approach for the game of rugby 
um, Irish flag aside, is probably where the game needs to go for people to kind of people outside of rugby to kind of respect the game and for the game to grow. Now, at the same time, there's tactics involved, and if you win a World Cup, nobody cares how you've won it. So I, I respect that, and I like I like going into the depths of tactics, and it's not all about attacking rugby. Like if you lose the lose the game playing the most outrageous style of rugby in terms of attack, it's not really worth it. It's not efficient. But at the same time, I think England are running a game at the moment where they can mix it physically and um, and kind of play their, their nice style attacking game but more offload like the I've never seen 80 odd kicks in a in a game I don't think and four offloads and the whole thing between two teams in 80 minutes of rugby I just thought it was a bit negative for a tournament like that like if you get me Brilliant stuff from uh, Johnny Holland there um, on South Africa's coaching ticket most of whom uh, used to work at Munster are you any more kind of uh, convinced that they have a hope against, you know, you were talking about what they needed to do to beat England. Do you think there's any chance of that happening? Um, yeah, I do. I think, I, I think, I, I don't, South Africa, I don't think will ever be a beaten ticket. I think that they just will naturally be a really stubborn side for England. And like, I, that doesn't mean that, the very start of the tournament, I had England as my pick, I'd still kind of stand by it, but I wouldn't be one bit surprised if, uh, like, if if this descends into an arm wrestle, like if this yeah. if this become maybe not the best spectacle in the world, but uh, like what was the, the people kept using the cliche that a chess game people kept using that about Sunday, um, the most inaccurate chess game of all time. Yeah, like yeah, elbows really knocking chess game, like you know where both teams were like giving each other opportunities that they weren't taking. Yeah, <laughs> elbows knocking prawns <laughs> off the pitch, and <laughs> um, but if it descends to that, I think South Africa absolutely have a have a chance. So like I, I it's I hope it kind of as part of me kind of hopes it doesn't become that like I hope it's yeah. a, a bit more of a better showpiece and if it is I actually think that England will win in that case yeah I just want to say something very very quickly I'm going back on something from 20 minutes ago but like the the kicking right the like this idea that oh like I mean that's how you play the game they're playing a certain style they need to do it it was, like, it was that the kicking was shit yeah. like it wasn't <laughs> like it really was like it wasn't offering any use whatsoever and if either team didn't do it the other team would have had the advantage you know um, like there was a kicking duel for honestly about two or three minutes in the New Zealand England game that Farrell ended up um, Farrell ended up winning I would say it was basically Barrett and Farrell and I think Moanga and Ford both kicked it in that period as well where they were back and forth back and forth and ultimately England had made about 40 yards when it eventually went out of play for a line out that's tactical kicking and it might not be always great to look at but there's a reason for it you're doing it for a reason these like telegraph box kicks that are going no distance and there's no real chase on them and then they're only just to set up a rook for another box kick back <laughs> anyway look i've gone off on one i've decided something or something controversial over the course of this podcast we've been talking for about an hour and i started off by saying that the true irish sports person in me can be happy for england after a win but will never actually support them on the basis of what i've seen this world cup I want England to win the World Cup this weekend. I it's more that I don't want South Africa to win. <laughs> but oh god, I've said it out loud now and I feel disgusting. Do you? I do. I do. Do you know that? I do. I like them. I like Eddie Jones and I think that this is a good this is this has been easily the best team in the World Cup and I think if South Africa win it it'll be kind of like 2007 again. Now in 2007 England were along with them. England were shit. 
and I've no idea how that team got to a World Cup final. It was because France didn't don't know how to play England at World Cups is the main reason, you know, and they scraped out a semi-final win and South Africa at least had Habana and everything like that, that there was something to South Africa winning it, but it was an awful final in an awful World Cup in general. This has been a little bit less cut and dry and I think one of the reasons is that England have actually been very, very good. They were very good against Australia. They'll have won and beaten all four Southern Hemisphere teams. Which is cool, yeah. Which is kind of remarkable. Look, I'm not. It's, it might be the opposite. As whereas, like in 2003, I didn't want them to win, but then I was happy for them when they did. I think this way, I was like, I want them to win, and then once they do, I'll be like watching Sky Sports News, thinking, "What have I done?" But I think that I, that's, <laughs> I think that's an absolutely natural reaction. Like, I think if it, if it was an isolated incident, if they won and everybody just moved on, I think you'd be fine with it. It's the, it's what will come after that is, I think, has people dreading. Uh, England win the Cup. <laughs> oh, we're so petty and pathetic. Look, if we're just watching a game of rugby, I think that England should win, and I hope they do. And then there's the bigger, bigger sense of. I do. I, I will say a small thing though. I think South Africa having a black captain lift the World Cup trophy wouldn't be a small thing at all, and I think would actually would catch a lot of people by surprise when they're watching it. How much it feels like it means, you know. And I think that if that actually happens, I think people will be caught by surprise how big a moment that is. Yeah, and I, I, um, building on that point, I actually think the way that Erasmus has conducted all of that has been impeccable. Like the, uh, the Not only in terms of access, but so the way they've connected with fans digitally, or like the stuff they do. Like I, if anybody saw it, there was a moment at halftime where they they do the standard thing to show the two dressing rooms. Erasmus is in his, um, on a whiteboard, or sorry, on a, with a PowerPoint going through Excel sheets this is what he does at half time but at the same time you see cameramen walking in around them shooting it for South Africa which they put out themselves you saw uh, like South African players putting up videos directly from the dressing room engaging people afterwards South Africa as a country has actually, they've actually negotiated a deal between the TV rights holders and their uh, broad, national state broadcasters this game will be available to everybody in South Africa for the final which is a class thing like it's, and, uh, it's yeah. like all that kind of stuff I think there's plenty of good elements to South Africa maybe away from the soil an Irishman involved is such a cool story like it an is, Irishman yeah. involved in a work fun is really really you cool you would actually be genuinely delighted for Felix though, <laughs> you know? yeah it's absolutely like, yeah. yeah so there's enough in it that uh, if England if you're a beloved England don't win Mick I think let's I'm take it out come on you box <laughs> look we'll see how it goes and either way I think I'll be winning um, and uh, I'll claim that I ultimately wanted that result uh, anyway what am I talking about enjoy the game enjoy the third fourth place playoff if you're kind of a weird sadist who likes watching uh, 30 or however many it is 40 I don't know how many 46 really dejected and depressed players play rugby for 80 minutes if you want to do that enjoy the third and fourth place playoff but actually enjoy the world cup final and we'll be back with you next tuesday lots more rugby to come as well this week we'll have stephen ferris looking ahead and making his pick for the final and the build-up that will be out wednesday evening we'll have brent pope back in studio for the brent pope rugby world cup show he'll be in on on thursday and we'll have lots more on site as well you can keep an eye out on balls.e for all of that stuff if you like the podcast please subscribe if you haven't already please rate and give a five-star review because that will help us immensely until next tuesday take it easy